So last week, we dealt with the very sensitive subject of Christian wives in marriage. I had a few smiley faces during the meeting and after them of wives, so I'm, hope, I'm hoping that I dealt with it in a sensitive way, um, in a way that sort of uh, encouraged women to press in rather than go, well, uh, the Bible's obviously this patriarchal pamphlet and I'm going to abandon it and embrace Buddhism. So appreciate that many of you come back. Um, in what Peter said and, and what we drew out from it, um, there was a call for wordless evangelism, where uh, by the uh, actions and uh, uh, daily conduct, we draw people to Christ. And that was the idea for uh, sort of women with husbands that didn't know Jesus. And we kind of extended it into the workplace and other things, because it's a really good thing to live really well so that other people want to know the reason for your uh, uh, faith. And we talked about inner beauty. We said that uh, women aren't forbidden for wearing jewellery and nice clothes and having facials and whatever else. Um, But there is supposed to be a concentration on the inner beauty, on, on what goes on inside. And we also looked at service and that Jesus served the purposes of his father and uh, Christians are supposed to uh, be, do likewise, and so it is okay uh, for a, a, a woman in a, in a marriage uh, to see her role as one of service, because we all should. Um, and so we, we recognise that a lot of the attributes that Peter drew out for women in a marriage, particularly marriage to a non-Christian, was actually appropriate for all the believing population. Um, They are features of Jesus, um, his beautiful life as recorded in the Gospels, um, and we're to copy him. So a lot of what Peter said kind of ties up with the life of Jesus, and we should all sort of uh, recognise life goals in all of that. Today, we now turn our attention away from the women to the guys, to the husbands. Um, And it's interesting. So, 1 Peter... Chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. Everyone say, same way. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Um, And actually, we'll leave that. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Everyone say, respect. With respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Everyone say heirs. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, I don't know about you, but when you come across this, you, you see Peter's words... And you see the ladies got six verses and the husbands get almost like a little footnote. And you're like, what is going on? It is a legitimate question to ask, what is going on with the text? Why is more text dealing with one group of people rather than another uh, group? Um, My immediate response was, it's because guys were already awesome. Peter doesn't need to tell us anything. We all know exactly how to treat our wives perfectly, and it's obviously just the women that need to be told what to do. 
I'm not hearing any uh, disagreement, so that, that's really good. That that's your experience, but I don't actually think that's true. Um, perhaps it's possible um, that there was a lot less believing guys in this congregation. There was a lot of believing women with troubles with their unsaved husbands, but there were a lot less guys. It's possible that that was the demographic of this first century, uh, the first century churches that Peter was writing to. It could be, um, and I like this idea, that actually Peter wrote something else to the guys. You know, perhaps he had a, uh, a long essay before this letter or one afterwards where he dealt solely with guys and all the ways um, that they needed to be uh, good husbands. But um, none of those have necessarily got any evidence in the text. They're kind of possibilities um, and guesses. Well, I'm going to give you a different suggestion. Up to this point, and so we've been looking at Peter's words to the Christian uh, communities in in, in Turkey, um, and he's been calling on Christians to submit. They are followers of the way, lovers of Jesus, people that rely on Jesus for their salvation. Um, They've been told to submit to rulers, to bosses or sort um, uh, sort of owners, and to husbands. That has been the trajectory of his arguments so far. And in verse 7 of 1 Peter 3, there is no call to submission. Why, if this is Paul's, uh, Peter's argument, he has said, submit, 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 and suddenly gets to husbands, and he does not say, Submit. Well, now Paul, I think, deals with some aspects of authority in the family. But I don't think that's Peter's uh, uh, drive here. I think Peter knew that he was talking to wives and he was like, I'm not going to leave the husbands out of this and not let them think they're off the hook, that they're somehow, they have no responsibilities. Because you see, in a marriage... um, The power dynamic um, is different. I wonder if you noticed, and if you're a woman, you probably did notice, Peter uses this uh, fascinating term, the weaker partner. And um, it's a term that people have argued about uh, for generations. Now, if you look through Scripture... From Genesis to Revelation, you will not find that uh, the woman is weaker spiritually or morally. At no point is the is the guy the somehow the the spiritual superior who is just right on everything. Um, if you remember, possibly one of my favourite stories of Abigail, the husband was an idiot and uh, Abigail was just like Jesus to David. Um, So when Peter says the weaker partner, he does not mean the woman is spiritually or morally or intellectually inferior and that the husband needs to step in because our wifey is just not up to the task. 
Genesis 1.27 says both sexes were uh, created in God's image and he blessed them both. There is an equality right from the start which is um, sort of quite unusual um, for uh, a faith that started so long ago. This is Natalia Vadimovna Volkavanovna. Fantastic, yeah. So this, um, she was a Russian athlete. She learned to swim, was trained in swimming, had children, then took a 20-year gap year. So she uh, um, sort of, uh, she uh, had children and then just looked after them for 20 years. Um, And then, after the children had sort of grown up, um, she decided to take and embrace swimming again. And in particular, she decided to take up one of my favourite sports in the world, which is free diving. This lady, at the time of her death in 2015, um, she kind of went missing in the sea. Uh, And uh, so they've never found her. But um, she went missing in 2015. And at the time of her uh, missing or or her sort of recorded death, she held, so um, sort of, she was sort of over 40, she held 41 free diving world records which is pretty impressive for someone that um, is sort of getting on. There is this uh, great episode in 2007. There was the uh, free diving world championships. Um, I think it might have been in uh, Slovakia. And uh, she was diving and competing, and uh, she won the gold medal um, in her discipline. And the depth that she reached exceeded the guys and so at that point like so the record that she set at that time was across both sexes and free diving is brilliant because it's one of those sports that the women uh, um, often are better than the men and it and it and it, it, it becomes not just a, a sort of battle of the sexes but it, it, it's just how pushing the the human body to different limits However, in most other physical competitions, men and women compete separately. I don't know whether you've noticed it on the TV or on the radio, but most usually men and women are segregated in the games that they play. This is generally speaking because men have a physical advantage. And this is one of the reasons that the uh, various sort of Olympic committees and stuff is struggling with the idea of transgender uh, women who were guys and now transitioning over and, and playing women's sports. And all the women are going, that's unfair. This guy has, or uh, um, this person has, the sort of physical attributes of the other sex. Generally speaking... Men have the physical advantage in these different sports. Um, I, was, I was trying to come up with some sort of facts and figures, and 
Um, I was like, you know, you probably don't need to know, but if you go golfing, you will find that uh, the guys on average uh, drive a golf ball an extra sort of 20 or 30 yards to the women. And they're, they're, again, there is different ways to um, quantify this difference in the genders. It's not universally true, but it is often true that in a marriage of a husband and wife, the husband is generally broader, he is taller, he is heavier, and he is stronger. It is not universally true. Some marriages sort of uh, uh, um, flip that on its head, but by and large, that is true. They are the ones, the husbands are the ones that can be called upon to um, open difficult jars of jam, reach up high places um, that the, um, the sort of wife can't, and carry heavy loads. It's not universally true, but if you were to sort of, uh, um, sort of average everything out, that is often how it works out with. So, and you may be wondering, where is he going with this? But it will come back, I promise. Peter's running point of submission to a dominant power doesn't work when he mentions husbands here. He has talked about authorities. You are talking about the king or the emperor or um, a local tyrant. And Peter says, there are positions of power, you submit to them. When your boss comes in, they are in a position of, of power. It's okay to submit to them. Wives, when you look um, at your husband, they're in a position of power. It's okay to submit to them. And then when he comes to the guys... The power dynamic is different. So what he has to say um, doesn't really fit his line of argument, but he doesn't want to let the husbands off. He goes, look, you are the, the stronger partner in this, but just because my argument um, sort of is distorted by that, let me say something to you. So husbands... Get a little bit less text here, not because they're unimportant. It's not because they're already awesome and good at everything. It is not because they have less responsibility. It is just because of Peter's train of argument. So, what do the husbands need to do? Husbands have um, very specific and clear responsibilities. Peter does not tell the uh, husband to submit to the wife explicitly. But he does say, and I got you to say it out, in the same way. He's talked about uh, dealing with authorities, he's talked about dealing with bosses, and he's talked about dealing with husbands. And then he says, in the same way. And it certainly suggests to the reader that husbands should reciprocate to their wives in much the same way that they are treated. Husbands can have an inner beauty and they can uh, um, execute service towards the other half. And there is this confirmation of this instruction because um, and the English in the NIV is a little weak. 
It says, the husband's to consider the wife and honour her. Now, um, again, you don't necessarily quickly pick it up, but when he says honour, the root word of that is exactly the same as honour the king in verse 17 um, earlier on. It's the sa- in, in chapter 2, verse 17, the word honour the king, honour your wife. Now, I'm not saying, husbands, that your wife is king, but I am saying that there is honour there that needs to be um, given. When you come here, it is very easy for us to have a uh, full of all the issues of gender equality and this um, idea that's out there of complementarianism, which is essentially husbands and wives have different uh, sort of roles. But this is not Peter's specific point. He is not stepping in and saying one has authority over the other. He is saying this is the reality of marriage and husbands, you need to step up to your responsibility. Peter wants to speak of a partnership, and we're going to have a look at that in a, in a sec. And he says, just the characteristics of those two genders are different. In the, um, in the Greek, and it is a little st- stronger, he says to the husband that you live together with the wife with knowledge. Um, it says sort of consider um, in English, but there is this live together with her in knowledge. And Peter tells us to take account of two things when they are thinking of their wives. When husbands are supposed to be um, being considerate, they are to consider two things. First, that she is generally speaking physically weaker. And secondly, she enjoys um, the fullness of grace just like him. So Peter establishes before God they are the same. They have the same uh, privileges, but they are a different physical makeup. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We have to emphasize this um, before we go into the finer points. If you're struggling this morning with sort of paying attention and you're still exhausted from the prayer night, then uh, this point alone is sort of worth your your time and attention. It says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God. Everyone say all. all. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one. Everyone say one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from the slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles in this world. But when the time had fully come, 
God sent his son, born of a woman under law, to redeem those under the law, that they might, we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Everyone say, Abba. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. In this paragraph, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that in the kingdom of God, there is no hierarchy of status. Everyone has been saved by grace. Everyone has been saved by the, re- the death and resurrection of Jesus. In marriages, in Christian marriages, the husband must not pretend that they have spiritual preeminence. They are not closer to God. They are not somehow the ones with the secret hotline to God and the wife needs to just pay attention to him. There is an equality. They are both fully saved by God's grace. But Paul has a wider point when he refers to this. Paul says to us all that whatever position you find yourself in life, whatever nationality, whatever ethnicity, uh, whatever background, whether poor or rich, whether you are a brain surgeon or a street sweeper, in the kingdom of God, those distinctions do not exist. God is not more impressed with you uh, because the world is impressed with you. And God is not less impressed with you because your uh, role um, in this life is somehow uh, uh, less recognised. Whatever our status and place in this time does not continue into the kingdom of God. There are neither inferior or superior roles. We are all equally saved by grace. And this should transform how we look at everyone else. We're not in competition with everyone else. We are not trying to be something we're not. We don't have to acquire significance. God has already said he's loved us. He has put his Holy Spirit in you. There is nothing else you need in life to uh, uh, feel recognised and worthy and promoted. I don't care what size house you live in, what your pay packet is like, how nice a car you drive or anything else. There is this recognition in salvation that everyone is privileged. And it's going slightly off track, but... Paul says that we have the Holy Spirit in us to call on God, Abba Father. We had a great time praying on Friday at the prayer meeting, and it was great to just spend uh, a bit more time sort of uh, uh, covering lots of different things. But, and there is a call. The Holy Spirit is in you to call out to God, to pray, to spend time with him. We have this immense privilege of being called the sons of God, and we need to enjoy that. Now, 
hopefully we've seen that significance of Peter's point that women are equal in marriage in spiritual terms. We now need to remember his first point, which was that while women are equal before God, they are physically weaker. And I want to extend this and suggest that women generally can be more vulnerable in society. Um, It's a great noise, isn't there, coming from the back? Um, When crisis hits... When climate change happens, when pandemics like HIV come, when government austerity figures are imposed, it is um, sort of proven by various studies that women are disproportionately affected. They are more vulnerable, generally speaking. It's not universally true, but generally speaking, when uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, things go down badly, it is often the women that get the, uh, the worst deal of it. And disproportionately, they endure more pain and suffering. When Peter tells the husbands to live with knowledge um, of their wives, there needs to be an understanding for the husband that women are regularly made vulnerable by how society works. They are physically vulnerable. They are culturally vulnerable. I mean, so we all know that sort of, uh, sort of mums are awesome, but often when you talk about economics, they are marginalised and pushed out. And when we talk about benefits and things like that, it's often when that's cut, it's the uh, women and the, the sort of uh, the mums that are pushed to the side. Politically, it is uh, regularly seen that women are marginalised. There is not 50% women in the House of Lords and in the House of Commons. Um, I was hearing one uh, uh, Labour MP and she was saying we really need to get the same number of women uh, Labour MPs as men because there is a bias in the subjects they care about. There is a bias in the policies they enact. We live in a society that habitually marginalises women. It's trying to be corrected, and um, I think that's a good thing. But it still goes on. And so Peter calls the husbands, you need to watch out for these uh, these wives, this other half, this person that you say you love. They are equal before God, but... They're in a position in society that can be seen as vulnerable and you need to look out for them. You need to uh, champion them. This is going to be awesome. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12.
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is made up of one part, but um, is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. This is ridiculous, okay? Can you imagine your foot going, because I'm not something else? Paul is using humour here. You're allowed to smile and go, well, that's just crazy. Um, if the foot should say this, um, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. It's stupid and ridiculous, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one body. Um, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. That is just ridiculous and crazy. Imagine that happening. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. That's stupid. Um, On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Um, Listen to this very careful language of Paul. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. It's not that those parts are less or more important, it is just they are different. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. Um, And then we have this principle of God where the bits that could easily be seen as less important or can easily uh, find themselves more vulnerable, God gives them more honour. And I think that is a principle of God, that he regularly gives more honour to the ones that we overlook. In James, uh, he talks a lot about the poor and God honouring the poor. Um, and so um, in, the, in this image of the body, God um, has combined the members of the body and given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. The Apostle Paul uses the image of the human body as a metaphor for God's people. Um, So he's saying, church... You're like a body. Um, you all have different functions and a different place. F- for this morning, I want you to notice that there is this conversation about honour, about this conversation about in the, uh, in the church, it is like the body where there are bits that are more vulnerable and uh, more care is taken over. And I think, and various experts have suggested, that this works a bit like in a marriage. A godly husband 
the physically stronger partner has a responsibility to do the same thing for his wife who is physically weaker and look out for her and counteract the, the challenges the wife faces. Guys, if you are a man, you are physically at an advantage. You are socially at an advantage and you are economically at advantage. By and large, this is the reality of our society. It is not universally true, but generally speaking, um, we have, the guys are given every advantage, and often unfairly, I completely recognise that. And so, those guys with an advantage have a duty and responsibility to look out for the other half to make sure that they don't lose any honour just because they are um, different. I think, and so this is uh, sort of part of my experience as a husband, I think uh, periods, pregnancy, lactation and menopause are all part of the female experience, and they um, can cause women to be vulnerable in those respects. And, and, and if you sort of pay attention to the media, these things are being risen. I was sat at a meeting at work, um, and the union rep went uh, off on one about work not understanding and making room for women going through their menopause. We hadn't even touched that subject. I don't know why it suddenly went on. Um, but this was, something, this was something new to me. And so, guys, we need to understand our wives. We have to understand in what ways um, they can uh, feel vulnerable. And we need to act accordingly. They are vulnerable in so many ways, and we need to use that as an opportunity to honour them and highly regard them and make sure they don't feel dishonoured or marginalised or put down. It is good to fill up hot water bottles, get the better pram, and let her control the thermostat at home sometimes. I think there is a practical consideration to accommodate and make room for the fact that they are different to you. I think sometimes in the early years of our marriage, and probably still now, I kind of often just think my other half's just a guy, and, we like, and, and just think that she should think like me, and we are different. And so there is a responsibility for men to see the difference and to accommodate them, to look out for them, to honour them, to serve them. The guys do it from a position of strength in so many ways. And so this is outside Peter's argument of submission, but he doesn't want to let the husbands off the hook as if that they have got no responsibility. And I think 
just like the principle with the wives, I think this principle uh, is for all of us. All of us need to honour the ones that are vulnerable amongst us, the ones that can be seen as weak. In this congregation, there are lots of people with lots of backgrounds, with different challenges, and we have a duty, just like the husband does, to come alongside them and discover their challenges, to discover what their uh, difficulties are, what things make life harder than it should be. And then we come alongside and we help and we honour and we accommodate them. It's, I mean, for instance, I don't know if uh, you know many wheelchair users, but um, as I become friends with sort of wheelchair users, you realise that drop curbs are a really big deal. And that the idiots that park in front of uh, drop curbs that don't even see them uh, are causing a massive difficulty. And that is because... The, person, the driver has had no consideration, has not come alongside and lived with the people that are possibly vulnerable. And all of us have a responsibility to come alongside each other and learn each other's um, uh, difficulties, learn each other's challenges, learn each other's strengths and weaknesses, and look out for them and honour them. I'm looking around and I'm wondering whether I've failed to put the thermostat on, because uh, I can see a few sort of uh, uh, jumpers on and uh, stuff. But there is, there is the idea, the, there, is a, there is a Christian message in Peter's words to uh, the husbands that we should all get to know each other and discover what is going on and then make allowances. And if nothing else, you know now not to draw... Uh, Park your car in front of dropped curbs. But there are a thousand things like that that we can look out for each other with. There are lots of people that do not enjoy the privileges we do, and we must champion them. We get so wrapped up in our own worlds that we miss the fact that what for us is just a, a, a simple thing is a much bigger thing for someone else. So we look out for the poor. We look out for the sick. We look out for the mentally ill, the old, the young, and the lonely. All these uh, groups of people that quite easily can be marginalised by thoughtless activity. Once... We live alongside each other. We get to see other people's struggles. And then we act like good husbands and help out. I wonder, as I finish, if you've noticed the end of Peter's words to husbands. He says, if you don't do this, there's going to be a blockage in your prayer life. If you do not honour your wife you will find that there is a problem with your relationship with God. Strangely, I've got time. We're going to have a look at Matthew. I'm a so I think it's Matthew chapter 5. 
So Matthew chapter 5, um, just verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And what Jesus says specifically here is that if you expect to relate to God well, you need to make sure you relate to everyone else well as well. You cannot go to the Elim Bubush prayer night and be out of a good relationship with those around you. It is important how we relate to each other. For Peter, he says, Husbands, you need to make sure you look after your wives because if you don't, you are in a bad relationship with, you, uh, with them and then your prayer life and relationship with God and your intimacy with your Heavenly Father will uh, be retarded. It will be slowed down. It will not be the fullness it could be. And a poor prayer life is very quickly going to rob your faith of its dynamism. It was so great to, to hear someone just say again and again this morning in prayer of all the things that they'd prayed for and seen happen. And uh, I wonder if some of us heard that and go, well, that doesn't happen to me. The challenge of this verse is that perhaps your prayers aren't answered because you are in bad relationship with other people. Our relationships with each other helps or hinders our tightness with our Heavenly Father. If we are good with each other, and if we work at it, if we are living alongside each other, then your Heavenly Father uh, uh, just seems to draw closer. But if you are not, if you are isolated, remote, uncaring, if you don't know the challenges of the other people sitting in this room... I think there is a warning here about your relationship with God. I don't want to go on about that, but that's how this verse ends. So uh, there we go. Um, if you could bow your heads, I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we take seriously Peter's words to husbands. We recognize um, that just as his instructions to wives, that he has profound instructions to husbands. And I pray that the marriages in this place would be good. God, I pray, uh, particularly today, that the husbands would be good at living alongside their wives with a full knowledge of their experience and act accordingly. Lord God, I pray that the husbands would realize that uh, their wives are equal in the sight of God. And uh, there is an equality there that God has put in from the very beginning. And Heavenly Father, I pray that we would learn the lessons of husbandry this morning. That we would live alongside each other. We would learn each other's struggles and difficulties and, and possible vulnerabilities. And that we would look to honor uh, and help out and contribute. And Lord God, I pray that you, we would do this in such a way that we grow tighter together and that our prayer life with you uh, is, is helped and assisted and increased 
Uh, Lord God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.